also. Did you did you uh, record that bump it up that you? Just I, did? I think I did. Oh yeah, you see, you need that. That's like yeah. that shows up at the very end after yeah. everything. Bump it up. You should do that. I'm serious. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Oh. Hey there, and thank you for joining us on Renovation Podcast. I'm John Oglesby. I'm here with Dr. Christopher Cohn. Hello. And uh, how was your weekend? Very, very busy. Uh, very busy weekend, uh, almost to the point I can't even remember what happened. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, most people, well, a lot of people, when they have, like, family gatherings, they'll, they'll grill out and they'll do, like, hamburgers and stuff. We had chicken Alfredo last night. Is that a real meal, chicken Alfredo? It's delicious. I know. It is. It, it was the first. Uh, my wife called it the first real meal that she's cooked in our new house. Wow, that's awesome. Although she's cooked multiple times, but she likes to cook. You know, like where it takes two hours, and it's like this really oh, yeah. in-depth meal. You know, that's the real meal that she's talking about. Chicken Alfredo is awesome. My, my, both my daughters love that. And so, almost any time we go to a place and we're ordering or something, chicken Alfredo. So menu so yeah yeah it's good we we, we grilled a, a back in california had a, a tri-tip uh, see have, okay. you, have you had that before have you had tri-tip i have because my wife and her family lived in california for about okay. 10 years but i had never even heard of it when they told me about it They're like you want to have some tri-tip tonight i'm like what is that and my dad loves cooking steaks and so i grew up eating eating steaks and stuff i had never heard of a tri-tip before in my life i hadn't either so, so around California, we have tri-tip. It's amazing. Uh, we, we come to Kansas City, and nobody knows what tri-tip is. You ask butchers, and I'm like, I don't know what that is. Uh, but my wife found it at uh, Trader Joe's. Wow. And so she picked tri-tip, so we kind of grilled that. See, we need to get together and have chicken Alfredo and tri-tip. Yes. <laughs> that, that would be a fantastic. That sounds delicious. It sounds delicious. Put the tri-tip in the chicken Alfredo. Make it chicken. No. Okay, bad idea. Sorry. Uh, had, all right. Had an awesome chance to, to teach at a church this weekend uh, um, on Philippians chapter two. So that was uh, always a joy and privilege to be able to do that. Was so, it the kenosis passage? Uh, it was launching off of that. I was yeah. focused on the second part of the chapter, which has uh, you know, Christ as the standard of selflessness and love. And then, as you move past that. Uh, Toward the end of the chapter, you have Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples. And so it was uh, just looking at their examples of how we should care and love uh, one another. And so, yeah. neat, neat passage. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got to spin the wheel of topicality. But before we do, uh, the, four, the four topics we've got on the board for today, or the wheel, I guess I should say, for today, is uh, the California migration. Topic number one, California migration. Was I born gay? Topic number two. And then everything you need to know about Bible translation. So, so back up just a second. I think we got to clarify. <laughs> yeah. Topic number two, was I born gay? Uh, are, are we specifically talking about you? Or are we talking about us? <laughs> are we talking about... I just want to make sure because I need to spin the wheel properly. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not, not talking about us. Uh, but it's a good title. And, uh, well, we might be talking about us. People have to listen and find out right? yeah true yeah so, of course we might not talk about that because it's the wheel of topicality you just never know how it's going to go yeah right yeah yeah what, what's topic number three everything you need to know about bible translations right because there's things we need to know about bible translations right yeah what what bible translation is the best is there an inspired translation out there Ooh. you know 
<laughs> everything you need to know. And then the last topic is pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. Which nice. one's biblical? Excellent. So, wow, four good topics. So any of these would be really good. I know. We could just do a mashup, talk about all four of them in one episode. <laughs> we could do that. I think I think uh, our listeners might not like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, shall I spin it? Spin it. All right, here we go. Wheel of Topicality. Hey, was I born gay? <laughs> This is going to be good. It's going to be fun. It's fun. Oh, so uh so you tell me, Dr. Girl, was I born was I born gay? No. Hey. All right, I'm going to spin the topic wheel again. Yeah. <laughs> Question answered. We, we could get this mashup thing going. We could do this. No. I think we could. No, that's it's, it's a really important topic. It actually. is. It is. And I I can't even I can't even tell you how many times it's come up, especially as the um, sexuality debate and and confusion and all of that builds in society, and um, you know that that's one of the uh, attacks, if you will, on on Christianity is you guys aren't tolerant and and you know there's just there's just this sexuality thing, and then people, you know, I, well I was born this way, I was born gay, um, and are they? Are they accurate in saying that? I mean, it's it's come up a, a, a tons of times, and not not with you personally necessarily, just for clarification, right? <laughs> right. You're, you're not having people come up to you every day. Hey, were you born gay? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> that's not. That's not. Uh, that's Except not when I when I wear my pink short. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's so ironic because you're you're wearing a purple shirt. I'm yeah. wearing a purple uh, and black checked shirt, and I am actually wearing pink shorts. But that has nothing whatsoever to do with our topic. But and pink is is, is not a homosexual color. I'll clarify. I like I like wearing pink quite often, and, and I'm I'm heterosexual. <laughs> what would be a uh, boy? We could we could go in all kinds of directions. What would be a homosexual color? Of course, there's, <laughs> there there's no such thing. Boy, we got to put this back on the rails. Yeah, yeah. Pretty quick. But I am wearing pink shorts. You're not. You're wearing just regular clothes. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I think that I think if we get back on the, we need to stick to the, what the Bible says. We'll we'll stay out of trouble. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, and and part of the issue is, and you mentioned it, kind of. The, the, I think you used the word assault. There is a real challenge to the concept of identity. You know, I think, for example, if you look at music uh, in the eighties, it was right. very much about uh, sex. Very much about sex. If you listen to music, just pop music, pop music in the 90s, it was very much despair, uh, rebellion, anger, angst, those kind mm-hmm. of things. And uh, I'm not sure what happened in 2000, you know, that the, the aughts, if you will. It's, it was a little more of an amalgam. But then uh, in this last decade, it really seems like it's been all about identity. Right. All about uh, self-assertion uh, and uh, and trying to establish a value because we have gotten away from a biblical understanding of identity uh, and and within our culture as we've abandoned the biblical context of, of identity. Now we're trying to figure out who we are. Right. And uh, so the music, the pop culture is all about 
establishing identity, and much of that has to do with just rejecting God's designs and plans for gender and sexuality. So it's a very significant topic that uh, that we all have to we all have to deal with. Yeah, and I think I think too there's a lot of um, a battle for identities. There's you know there's there's um, as we as you see the abandonment of the biblical identity for for humanity, you you find it has to be it has to be filled. You have to identify with something, and so there's there's this um, there's this fight for for identities. You know, let's look, almost like claiming identities. Yeah. You know, claiming these. You know, you, you need to identify here, and if you don't identify here, then there's something wrong with you. It's and like that kind of picking thing. sides, almost, right? Yeah. yeah, and as sexuality and stuff just floods our world. I mean, just it's all over the place, and so you get this. It's easy to identify with because it's the hot topic. I mean, it's it's everywhere, advertising, it's in movies and shows and entertainment alike, and um, there's a pressure to identify with that. <clears throat> so let's let's preface this discussion. I think it's a very important thing to note. Let's preface this discussion with First uh, Timothy one five where he says the goal of our instruction is love. And then there are three qualifiers of what that love looks like. Let's just focus on that. Uh, and as, as we talk about this topic, you know, we're going to be in Romans 1 and Romans 5 and, and perhaps other passages. But, but uh, uh, the goal of, of this is that we would have a better understanding of uh, what God has designed, what he intends, and that and when we're interacting with those who are going a different way, that we can love them, mm -hmm. that we can come to them with God's design, with His His truth, something that that is intended to be encouraging and, and liberating. Right. And, uh, and so uh, that's that's our, our our goal here is to represent God's truth and to represent His love, and not one without the other, because He presents them both. So uh, I I think the the sense that Christians are not tolerant sometimes is accurate in that it's based on uh, maybe the attitudes of some. And there's a very loud minority, I think, sometimes. Uh, you know, there's the website GodHatesFags.com, which is, I mean, that in itself is obviously uh, totally false and highly offensive. Right. Uh, but it's representing <clears throat> one small church that gets a lot of attention because of their crazy uh, approach. Um uh, and so all of Christianity can get slapped with that label where, where the reality is uh, Jesus has a different approach. God has a different approach and demands that we are treating one another, whether believers or not, that we're treating one another with love uh, and with compassion. Uh, you, you hold the truth. You don't abandon truth, but you also, uh, there's never an excuse for, for hatred of another, of another uh, person. So, it's just, I think, an important thing to, to mention as we get into this is uh, this is not uh, intended in any way to be anything other than edifying and encouraging. Right. And I think it's important, too, uh, I mean, really just building on what you said, um, that as you know, we're going to, uh, we're, we're doing that here, but also, that, I mean, that's another thing that is, as we encounter um, individuals who disagree, especially in this area, is it's a automatic you start talking about it if you disagree there's an automatic defense and tension built there is to to uh make sure that the encounter with all people but in this specific area with the, with with 
individuals who may be gay or or something to that effect that um, that love is there and that that's known and that's shown you know um, it certainly helps those conversations absolutely and my guess is this might be a two-part series here we might have a, a lot to get into because there, there's some rich biblical stuff here but, right. but we'll see maybe uh, maybe we'll talk fast <laughs> so why do you think the question is so important I mean, the, uh, for those of you who don't know uh, we we discuss together the topics that get on the topic the wheel of topicality um, in this particular question uh, you framed and I'm curious as to you know ex explain why why the question? Yeah. Um, well, there's how I, I ran across it, but I was just reading through Romans. And like I said earlier, it's been asked of me um, or told to me multiple times, you know, th that, you know, if I'm born this way, there, there's a bunch of questions that come off of that, depending on what your answer is. You know, was I, was I born gay? And it comes up more, more and more for me. Uh, people asking me that question, <clears throat> but if I if I go, you know, was I born gay? Yes. Well, then how can I be responsible for how I was born? You know, because because as a as a Christian, I would say you know homosexuality is against what God's teaching in Scripture. You know, he he designed the sexuality for a man and a woman, as we see in Genesis uh, one and two, and there's that marriage between a man and a woman and I mean, that, that's God's design. So if you go against that, you're going against how God designed, and then that results in uh, a, lot of, a lot of negative things. You know, God, God designed it a certain way, and when you go against that, you get repercussions for doing that. And so <clears throat> the biggest thing for me, I think, is when people ask that question, it's used as a um, almost get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, if I was born this way, then it's okay. Because, you know, God made me, and if he made me gay, then I'm just supposed to be gay. And so, one, were, you know, that you have to answer the question, were you actually born gay? And if we come to the conclusion that, yes, you were, then now we need to deal with, uh, you know, the idea of, and I'm assuming, we're, I, I would guess we're going to get into this, uh, original sin, and was I, you know, I'm born into sin, so... How do I now deal with that if homosexuality is one is, is a part of that package? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so, I mean, it's just the topic is huge, especially to in today's culture, as it just is. It's it's super relevant um, as that continues to grow, as that community continues to grow, and as that belief system continues to grow. Uh, how do we as Christians deal with it, and how do we respond to it in love, and how do we edify them and build them up, and how do we encourage them? How do we help them? I mean, there's, I mean, it's just, it's huge. It's huge. There we go. So there are two specific issues, I think, that stem from what you're describing. First is the identity aspect uh, of understanding what is God's design for identity <coughs> and what is, uh, what is his, his plan and purpose. How does all that work? A second piece is a more subtle uh philosophical device uh, the the move to say I was born this way is is again it's a subtle way to move one outside the realm of accountability right because if 
if you can say, I had no control over this, a popular view is that God doesn't judge people for things they don't choose, right? Does it make sense that God would judge somebody for uh, just being what they were born to be? Uh, and most would answer the question, well, no, of course not. And so, therefore, if you can say you were born this way, then it's not a moral issue any longer. It's now just about nature. If you're born that way, it's natural. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, the biblical information presents a totally different picture right uh, both on the aspect of nature and on the aspect of how God holds people accountable and that's where Romans 1 comes in so maybe we can uh, go over to Romans chapter 1 yeah and just to set some context here in uh, in verses 16 and 17 he focuses on the gospel the good news uh, the euangelion the good message because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone right. who believes, right? So uh, that's God's ability to save is through the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's for everyone who believes. Uh, so that's, that's inclusive in the sense of there aren't any particular people left out, but it's through the vehicle of belief, right? So there's exclusivity there it's through belief in Jesus Christ. So the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and righteous shall live by faith. Okay, so then we get into verses 18 and following. Why, why the need for this gospel? Why the need for God's righteousness to be revealed now through this good news uh, that Jesus Christ died and rose again. He died to pay for sin. Uh, why is that so important? Well, verse 18 the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So God's wrath is revealed, right? right. Now, th through the gospel, his righteousness is revealed in the previous verses, but here his wrath is revealed because they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, it's what unrighteous do is suppress the truth. It's, it's the position of being unrighteous. What does the unrighteous do? They suppress the truth, right? Because, verse 19, that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. So, in other words, and he says this a little bit later uh, at the end of verse 20, all are without excuse. All know of him. Right? Yeah. Uh, he made it evident in, in his creation and with it. Verse 20 tells us that since the creation of the world, three things have been seen. Invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature. And it says they've been clearly seen. Invisible attributes. Attributes you can't see through his creation have been clearly seen. So everyone's without excuse. So that's the baseline, right? Right. But then he describes the activity of those that aren't positionally righteous. That are suppressing the truth. Yes. In other words, those who are not believing in him, they're positionally not righteous, because in order to be righteous, you have to have the righteousness of Christ. So they're positionally not righteous. And so they are uh, not believing the truth, they're suppressing the truth, right? Mm -hmm. But it's evident to them. Everyone knows. In other words, the claim here that Paul is making is there's no such thing as an atheist, which right. is a whole other awesome topic. Uh, and so as it describes these who are responding without belief, verse 21, they knew God but didn't honor him as God or give thanks. And, and because of that, because they've rejected the truth and the knowledge that's there, they begin to go a different way. They become futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart is kind of continually being darkened. 
they profess wisdom but become fools, and they exchange the glory of, of the incorruptible God for the image and form of corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures. In other words, worshiping the creation rather than the creature, uh, or rather than the creator, right? The mass idolatry. Yeah. Uh, and in verse 24, you see the grace of God. He gives them over. He allows them to go that way in the, in the lusts of their heart, to the desires of their heart, to impurity. Uh, and that impurity, that those lusts are so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So they're desiring to use their bodies in all these uh, uh, ways that are not designed by God. It's interesting the way you worded that, and um, maybe another podcast, but... You said, you know, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, and you described that as the grace of God being shown. Yeah, it's, there are times when, and I think as a parent, there are times when you, when as a parent I allow my, my kids to make their choices and, and see the consequences through. Other times I don't, right? And in this, in verse 24, I think this is more about uh, a judgment than discipline. Right. You know, uh, he, he disciplines uh, the, the children he loves, and those who are, are not believing in him, are they're his creation, and he loves them, but he doesn't call them his children in the same way as those who believe. There's right. a different position, mm-hmm. right? So I think this is more of a of a judgment, a consequence, than than discipline. That's a whole other topic, right? The yeah. difference between punishment right. and, and discipline. Because verse twenty five, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. So that's the problem. And for this reason, verse twenty six, God gives them over. He lets them go down that path. Now the order is really important. Notice verse 26. For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. Uh, now, there aren't a lot of instances of the word natural in the New Testament. Uh, there are a few, and it's the word phusikos. We get our word physical from. In other words, the women are exchanging the physical function uh, for that which is not. Uh, for that which is is not not the physical design. And then in verse 27, we see in the same way. Okay, so it's the women first. And then in the same way, the men abandon the natural function of the woman uh, and burn in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving their own persons the due penalty of their error. So what you can see here is in this section, gender and sexuality Physicality; these are all wrapped up in identity. Right. Uh, we are created to be something. We're created, designed for something, and when we reject our Creator, uh, we can't very well follow His design. It's a constant reminder of who He is and what He has done. For example, Ephesians five talks about how uh, the marital relationship between a man and a woman is a picture. So it's declared to be a picture from the very beginning of what the relationship with of Christ and the church would be. So Adam and Eve's marriage was designed to portray that still yet future relationship between Christ and the church. And that's pretty awesome. 
So you can't you can't have those natural functions without seeing the design that God. It's hard to suppress the truth. When, it it is yeah. when you're following the path of truth. Right. 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 So the idea is we got to get away from God's design. We've got to proclaim our independence from Him, which means any trace of His design in our identity, we got to scrub. And the result is men and women don't know what they are anymore, and they go down all these crazy paths to the point where a person can have a surgery, take some uh, uh, female hormones, and uh, declare himself to be a woman. And that's actually accepted in our culture today doesn't change his DNA. Uh, it doesn't change the fact uh, of how he was born. It's just a declaration of independence from God's design, intentional or unintentional. Yeah. I'm not saying everyone who chooses that is is making a very deliberate, you know, act of rebellion against God. Some are deceived. Some just uh, some are ignorant and don't understand. Some are doing it as a very deliberate rebellion. So this, <clears throat> actually, verses 26 and 27 really were the. The, the verses that really caught my attention, uh, I, I don't know how many times I've read through Romans, and this question just popped up, and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why it's just now coming up, but it is. God, God just revealed that to me, and and so this is really what sparked the question. This is for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural natural function for that which is unnatural, and so God giving them over to that passion. Does that imply that he was withholding them from that previously? And does that cause, or does that does that prove or disprove or neither the idea that I can either be born gay or I'm not born gay? Okay, that's that's a, a great question. So first of all, we don't have any, to my knowledge, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll give that qualifier. We don't have any scientific data that supports the idea that someone is born uh, homosexual. Um, I would suggest that if we did, you would not have the move that you see now uh, for parents to quote-unquote let their children choose their genders mm -hmm. and that type of thing because that would be directly contradicting the, the scientific data, which is would be an interesting uh, kind of contradiction. Yeah. Um, I'm not aware of any. Uh, so there's that aspect. Uh, but a second piece of it is, so what if, what if people were? If somebody claims, you know, I was born this way, I'm not going to argue with them. I'm not going to say, uh, no, you weren't. I'm going to go directly to the second issue, which is, can God or does God hold people accountable for what they don't choose? Uh, and, I, and I would just put it this way. Let's go over to Romans 5 and, and kind of play with this for just a moment. In Romans chapter 5, uh, we'll start in verse 10, or excuse me, verse 12, and we read these words. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin... So death spread to all men. This is because all sinned. So in other words, and what you see when you read Genesis, Adam, uh, Eve was deceived, ate the, ate the fruit that was forbidden. Adam was not deceived. He knew, and he ate it anyway, and the sin is held to his account, 
not even to Eve's, which is very interesting because she was she was deceived. And what you see then is with with Adam's children, what happens as you look at the genealogies in Genesis? Every one of them, the end of their story ends with, and they died, right? <laughs> And we see the same thing here. Notice verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. If by the transgression of the one, the many died. So let's just stop there. By the transgression of the one, the many died. Adam sinned. Uh, in Genesis 2, the consequence for that was that he would have uh, death in the day that he sinned. And that death was a separation from God, fellowship with God. Chapter 3 describes an additional consequence of physical death, right. and that and that is to the dust you'll return. You'll, Earth's going to fight back, and then eventually uh, to the dust you'll return. And that's exactly what we see play out. Adam's uh, Adam is created in the image of God. He sins, and then his children are in the image and likeness of him, and each one dies. And so we see many references to this in Scripture, the idea of being born in sin, Paul talks about in Ephesians 2 being children of wrath. That, that, that's what we were, right? All of us, me, you. Mm -hmm. uh, so the issue there isn't were we born gay or, or straight or anything like that, but it's were we born in sin, right? Right. And in this passage, Romans 5, 4, 15, it says that by the transgression of the one, the many died. And the consequence is, I didn't choose to be born of Adam. Uh, how come I have to be born dead? How come I have to be born a child of wrath? I didn't choose that. Here's the point. God is holding us accountable for what we didn't choose. You can't get away from that. He is sovereign. He's the creator. He has the right to do that. Romans 9 explains some of that. So if God can and does hold people accountable for what they don't choose, then if someone said, I was born gay... And they're using that to try to escape God's judgment or accountability to God. It really doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's not an effective device, is my point. Right. They are, even if they were, even if we we discovered scientific evidence, you know, the gay gene or whatever people are talking about, if there was such a thing where somebody could say, "I was born a homosexual," again, I think that contradicts Romans one. That it's a it's it's not what's designed. It's a departure from that. But let's just again uh, concede that. that. Yeah. So a person can legitimately say I was born gay. Does that ab absolve them of any responsibility? Based on this principle that you see in Romans one and Romans five, it does not. We are still held accountable by God. We're held accountable for how we're born because we're born in sin. Again, Ephesians two says we're children of wrath as the rest. So we're in that. Uh, he holds us accountable. He can judge us for that. So that if we say we're born one way or the other, it doesn't uh, absolve us. It doesn't uh, get us out of that bind. The gospel does that, right? The good news that Jesus Christ died uh, to save us from sin. That's that's it. Now, uh, let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And let's just, let's just see what, what we have here. He says in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
That's positional, the unrighteous, mm -hmm. right? There's the righteous, those who have believed in Jesus Christ, and the unrighteous, those who have not. And he says the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't be deceived, either fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, or homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is people, these unrighteous, who they do these things because they're unrighteous, right? It's not who they are. It's what they do because they're unrighteous. But then notice verse 11. Such were some of you. In other words, he's saying to these believers, you were fornicators, you were promiscuous, right? You were idolaters, you, you cared about things more than God. You're adulterers, you're unfaithful, you're effeminate, abandoning the design. Uh, you're homosexuals, abandoning the, the sexual design. You're thieves, right? You were right. covetous. And, you know... We just think about covetous. Have you and I ever ever wanted something someone else had? I mean, that's coveting, right? Right. So we were that. We were that those were expressions of unrighteousness. And he's challenging these believers because you're not unrighteous anymore. Don't follow the path of unrighteousness. Don't have those expressions. So he says in verse eleven, such were some of you. You were that. But you were washed, you were sanctified, or you're set apart. You were justified. You're declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Praise the Lord. Amen, right? So every one of us is guilty of something. We have these expressions of unrighteousness that are in us. Whether we say, you know, I was I was born a thief, therefore I'm not accountable for my thievery. Well, I'm not going to argue with you, <laughs> as ludicrous as that sounds, but I'm going to say God holds you accountable for your thievery, whether you're born that way or not. Right. Because it's an expression of unrighteousness, and that he provided the good news of Jesus Christ to resolve. So what we see here in this context is that God provided a solution. Uh, and our identity isn't our sexuality. Our identity is not how we deal with things. It's, it's not anything on this list in verses 9 and 10. It's are we in Christ or not? And if we're in Christ then the idea is for us to learn about our design, right? We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. What is that? What is that design? What does he intend for us? And as we grow and mature in Christ, we, we can begin to have expressions of that, as we see in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit being born in our life. Uh, so it's a positional issue, righteous or unrighteous, uh, believing in Jesus Christ or not, and then he does the work to help us shape our expressions to match his design. Right. So there's there's a change of a change of identity. Yes, positional. And so there should there there's then a change of expression. It doesn't. I guess it doesn't. The the heart of the matter is not whether you were born gay or not. It's whether you were born a sinner. And now what what do you do with that? Right. How, how do you respond to that? And Praise the Lord. God has provided us with a solution to the to the problem. Amen.